Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about the sunshine vitamin, vitamin D, and why do runners need vitamin D? So mostly it's to protect against injury for muscle function, to help prevent cold and flu infections, and to promote oxygen to the muscles. So we're going to be talking about what is optimal vitamin D, how to test your status, and how to maximize vitamin D with safe sun exposure, supplements, and food. So join us to find out everything about vitamin D. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends, and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode offer a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Club. Welcome back everyone, I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen and as always we're going to share something personal with you about our nutrition or running before we move on to discuss our topic for today which is focusing on why do runners need vitamin D. So Aileen, today's question to you is... We've moved into autumn. It's getting colder and darker, unfortunately. And I'm just wondering, how do you motivate yourself to get outdoors and run during the the darkness and the the cold weather? Uh, Well, for me, Karen, it's all about being warm and dry. Um, So I layer up and I make sure I've got my hats and gloves and uh, shower-proof jacket ready. Um, The weather's fairly cold where I live, so I'm used to running in cold weather. I quite like it, actually. Um, The ice puts me off um, because I'm always a little bit worried about slipping. Um, But we're a few months away from that yet, so I don't have to worry about it too much. Um, And... You know, it's funny how I, I don't really like dry, uh, running in the dark. Um, and I always think that's funny because when I started running, I used to only run in the dark because I didn't want people to see me. <laughs> but I've got over that, thankfully, years ago. Um, so I feel it's safer to run um, anywhere I like in the daylight. So I feel a little bit restricted once we get into the dark weather. Um, so if I if I am out in the dark, um, I tend to stick to well lit roads, and then you know I feel that I'm around people and um, I don't feel quite so at risk from a safety point of view. Uh, and what about you, Karen? What do you, what do you do? Well, I have to say, I don't tend to have much trouble motivating myself to go out running, whatever the weather really, but it is the only sport I would do 
in any sort of weather, other other sports, I'm a bit of a fair weather person, but my running, I'll go out in anything. But I have to say, like you, Aileen, I do like to be warm. So I wear lots of layers because I can always take them off and also warm mitts. My hands, I just find, get really, really cold. So I need the mitts. The, the, the gloves just don't do the trick. And I think it's because, you know, that skin on skin brings warmth so that the mitts are much better for me. And like you as well, Aileen, I prefer to run in the daylight. Um, but sometimes I do have to run in the dark. So I like to get up early, get out, do my do my run, and then um, move on with the day. Um, so if I am running in the dark, I do tend to take Bella, my dog, with me, um, just because because again, that makes me feel a little bit safer. But but it does, like you, Aileen, it restricts me to where I can go. Because even with Bella, I won't go down any dark lanes or dark into dark parks or anything like that. So it is the well-lit streets. So um, but anyway, moving on, um, let's sort of think about our topic for today, which, as we said earlier, is a focus on vitamin D for runners. So what we're going to do is we'll talk about why an optimal vitamin D status is important for runners. How do you test for vitamin D and what is an optimal vitamin D status? And then we'll look at some practical suggestions to help you optimise your vitamin D status. So before we move into that I just thought we could have a quick overview on vitamin D and as most people are probably aware it is a, a fat soluble soluble vitamin vitamin god I can't get my words out Aileen <laughs> um, it is also um, considered to be a hormone now fat soluble hormones like vitamin D but also vitamin A E and K are found in most oily foods in both animal and plant forms and fat-soluble vitamins tend to be stored in the fatty tissue of the body as well as in the liver. So just a little bit of, a, of an overview. And then thinking about vitamin D, it's often described as the sunshine vitamin because it's produced when skin is exposed to sunshine. Or to be more exact, it's it's when it's exposed to the ultraviolet B, so that UVB radiation that the sun emits, and that produces the vitamin um, D3 within the body. And you can get a small amount of vitamin D from your diet, and it's thought to be around 10% of your requirements could come from your food. So not a huge amount, so just but a small amount. It all, always helps to top up. Um, and vitamin D3 form is available from foods such as oily fish, butter, eggs, so the so the animal-based products. Vitamin D2. Uh, tends to be found more in the plant-based foods such as the likes of mushrooms, fortified soy milk and almond milk. But vitamin D2 needs to be converted to D3 by the body and then vitamin D3 is then converted to its active form which is called calcitriol which some of some of you may have heard of, um, and that's done in the liver and the kidneys. So let's move on and um, talk about why is an optimal vitamin D status important for runners. So Aileen, can I hand over to you to enlighten us on that? Yeah, sure, Karen. That was a really great overview. So vitamin D is important for everyone, but especially for runners. And um, Vitamin D has wide ranging functions across the whole body. Um, we have uh, something called vitamin D receptors, VDRs, uh, which mediate the biological functions of vitamin D. And they're found 
all across the body in the cells of most organs and tissues. So in areas like the brain, the heart, the skin, the intestines, the pancreas, bones, kidneys, prostate, breast, which just sort of demonstrates how widely vitamin D is utilized. So it's, it's used in every part of the body, really. And um, the key areas of health that vitamin D are known to support are musculoskeletal health at all ages. So that's the bones, the muscles and teeth. And um, it also will help with immune system function and it enhances natural immunity and it will hi- inhibit chronic inflammation and, uh, protect against autoimmunity. Um, It protects against something called seasonal affective disorder. So uh, the acronym for that is SAD. And maybe people have heard about that, you know, where people get um, a little bit low and sometimes depressed and low mood um, in the darker weather. Um, And it also, vitamin D also helps promote brain health and cardiovascular function. So you can see it's important for general health uh, as much as it would be for a runner. Absolutely, Aileen. That really demonstrates how important vitamin D is for general health. But I'm just thinking, are there any specific reasons why we should be concerned about our vitamin D status as a runner? Well, I think as a runner, um, the most important thing is being in peak health at all times so that you can enjoy peak performance and, and not be taken away from your running by any niggly health issues or, or perhaps more serious health conditions. Um, and I, I think vitamin D is often overlooked. Um, and so I'm really keen to spread the word about having an optimal vitamin D status because it is crucial to health and it's easily checked. And if you are deficient, it can usually be resolved in a quite simple way. Um, so let's just have a little look at some of the reasons as a runner, it would be really important. So we mentioned musculoskeletal health earlier. So as a runner, you need to protect your bones and we want to retain a healthy bone mineral, mineral density and protect against fractures, so things like stress fractures or perhaps a fracture as a result of an accident. Um, and vitamin D has got a key role to play in the absorption and utilisation of calcium for strong bones. So that's like number one reason. Um, also, if we think about muscle function, which is equally as important for runners. So vitamin D has got a role in muscle repair and remodeling, and that's also going to help protect against injury and support performance and recovery. And then, you know, something that maybe people haven't thought about is how you prevent and minimize colds, flus, and those upper respiratory tract infections, which are a common complaint of runners during the the colder months. Well, vitamin D can also help here. So it's thought that vitamin D supports the immune system by inhibiting viral replication and the um, microbial entry into the lungs. So the reason we're doing that is we, we don't want these infections to get in the way of our training schedules and any competitions that we have, particularly um, during the winter, but really across the whole year. And then and finally, and another reason for runners to be concerned about vitamin D is that it supports the cardiovascular system for heart structure and function. And we've got to remember really that the heart is just a large muscle. Um, and what vitamin D um, does is it also promotes uh, vasodilation, which is vital for blood flow and the delivery of extra oxygen and nutrients to the muscle during exercise. So, um, you know, really important for general health, but specifically, you know, really important for runners. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've given some really great reasons there why a runner should maybe be considering their vitamin D status. Now, I was really interested to find if there was any evidence to suggest that vitamin D improves running performance rather than sort of the areas that you will speak clearly indirectly, everything you've said is going to support performance. But I just wondered if there was anything direct, any evidence directly linked to vitamin D and performance. So I was reading a few studies and reviews and it it seems that the general consensus at the moment is that low vitamin d status could negatively impact the health and training efficiency of athletes and i suppose that is linked to all the the reasons that you have mentioned aileen um there doesn't seem to be clear evidence to support maintaining vitamin D levels at a supranormal level, so beyond the, the optimal levels of um, vitamin D, so above 100 to 125 nanomoles per litre to achieve any improved athletic performance. It, it, it would, you know, the, the data suggests that optimal status, so that's between 75 to 100 nanomoles per litre, of vitamin D is still the recommendation for optimal health, general health, but also for good sporting performance. But it is having vitamin D at that optimal level and not just at the sufficient level. Um, so, Aileen, most runners, I would imagine, um, um, that, that are outdoors a lot would think that their vitamin D status is really good and would you say that is the case? Are we all high in vitamin D because we run outside? Yeah, well, that, that's the kind of thing that people say to me. Oh, I don't think I, I think I'll be all right uh, because I'm outdoors a lot. And you would imagine so, wouldn't you? If, if you're a runner and you're you're out all through the the sunny weather, that that would be the case. Um, but evidence actually suggests that the vitamin D, the trends in vitamin D deficiency in global populations are similar in athletic populations. Um, and that's because there are a number of risk factors and barriers for a, a low vitamin D status. So what they're saying really is, um, you know, whether you're a runner or you're just in the general population, there is a trend of vitamin D deficiency. And, and really, the, the main um, reasons for that is that we know that optimal sun exposure is key for vitamin D production. So your location and lifestyle will play a factor. So if you live in the northern hemisphere, you're generally going to have less sun exposure. Um, you may be covering up with clothes and sunscreen, and that might limit some sun exposure. And, you know, there's a there's been a trend over maybe the last decade or more of people being really conscious about protecting against skin cancer. So they are covering up with clothes and sunscreen, but to the, maybe to the detriment of their vitamin D status. Um, and then, you know, depending on your lifestyle, the people who live, work, play and exercise indoors will have less sun exposure. Um, so, I, I, you know, I guess most runners are outside, but maybe there are some that are doing a lot of treadmill running or they're doing a lot of um, work in the gym and maybe they're not as out, uh, outside as much as they think. Uh, and then there's some other issues um, to consider. So um, people with dark skins um, have 
a limited ability to absorb UV light uh, because that's reduced if you have a darker skin. And also there's a genetic component. So some people have a polymorphism of the VDR gene, which results in reduced vitamin D binding. So those people, they might require a higher higher dose supplementation or or more regular testing, if, if that's the case. Um, when we age, um, actually our skin uh, decreases, so that the capacity uh, to produce vitamin D um, as we get older, as much as fifty percent. Um, so I thought that that's a really interesting um, thing to think about, you know, because we're we're all aging all the time, so that that could be a reason. And then also um, people who are overweight or classified as obese. Um, were, there might be a case that the vitamin D uh, that they have stored is stored in the body fat and that is making it less bioavailable. So there's quite a lot of factors that feed into the reasons behind deficiency. It's not all just about uh, being outside in the sunshine. Yeah, absolutely. Aileen, I think this really highlights how many different factors are involved in in potential, the potential for vitamin D insufficiency, if not deficiency. And actually, a couple of other risk factors I'm thinking of that may make people prone to deficiency are um, those are medications. There are certain medications that um, would deplete vitamin D. And also that people following um, a vegan food plan, um, you know, and, and, and also, as we mentioned at the start, dietary sources of vitamin D are mainly from animal foods, such as the oily fish and the eggs. So if you do follow a vegan diet, this might be considered a risk factor for vitamin D deficiency in itself. Um, And also you may have difficulty absorbing dietary fat. So again, that would put you at increased risk from vitamin D deficiency, because like we said earlier, it is a fat soluble um, vitamin. So I'm thinking here of some people who might be, might have digestive disorders Again, they could be at increased risk of um, deficiency of vitamin D. So lots and lots of different factors for people to consider for themselves and, and reasons why they may be uh, or potentially could be insufficient or deficient in vitamin D. Aileen, I'm just thinking here, are there any specific female factors to consider regarding vitamin D status? Yeah, there's a couple I think that are worth mentioning. Um, so pregnant and breastfeeding women may be prone to deficiency, deficiency due to increased nutrient requirements. Uh, and also menopausal and postmenopausal women uh, are at risk of, of loss of bone mineral d- density, which could lead to the development of osteoporosis and the risk of fractures. So, you know, women in that age range, um, an optimal vitamin D status will really support your body and the absorption of calcium and phosphorus, and they're the key minerals for bone health. Uh, and it also uh, will support uh, a downward regular regulatory effect on the parathyroid hormone, uh, which um, would uh, result in reduced bone loss. So I was reading that the International uh, Osteoporosis Foundation said that one in three women over the age of 50 will experience uh, osteoporotic uh, fractures sometime in their life. Um, And, you know, I'm one of them. So 
Mm. <laughs> Hopefully that's my only one. <laughs> I don't want another one. Um, so, yeah, I think um, having an optimal vitamin D status in, in middle life is, is going to be really important. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think the osteoporosis statistics are really sobering, aren't they? Especially, like you say, for midlife women. Um, and and like you, I I've got well, I've got osteopenia. So again, I have to be very mindful of my vitamin D status, calcium status, and all of that as a as a midlife woman. Okay, so let's think about what we can all do to try and maybe overcome the barriers of um, optimal D status. So. So thinking about um, safe sun exposure so that you are optimizing the opportunity to make vitamin D naturally with with sunshine, but doing it safely. Thinking about eating the vitamin D rich foods just to keep yourself topped up. Um, a key one, I think, is about knowing your own vitamin D status. So maybe thinking about getting tested um, and that can be done through the GP or private testing. And the use of supplements with, I would say here, really important to get guidance from a health professional and base that off your vitamin D status results. And that's the aim there is to try and reach the optimal then um, a maintenance dose. So from that, um, shall we move on, Aileen, and, th- and, and speak a little bit about, about the testing? And I'm just thinking, what are your thoughts about deciding when or if a person should test their vitamin D status? Well, yeah, I've got a personal opinion here. And it's that really people should routinely test their vitamin D status. And I usually suggest to clients that they test twice a year. Um, And, you know, my thought is that you should do this usually in the autumn and again in springtime. And the rationale behind that is that in early autumn, ideally we should be at peak status after the summer when you know ideally we've had lots of safe sun exposure and knowing our vitamin d status at that point so this this time of year will help us decide on the requirement for a maintenance or a therapeutic dose of vitamin d supplement over the winter and then in the spring um I would suggest test again. And and my thought process again around that is that you would anticipate that we might have a lower test result after the winter months because we haven't had any sun exposure um, or not as much. We maybe have been lucky enough to have a a winter sunshine holiday, but that might not have been enough for you. Um, Having said that, you know, I don't think there are any official government recommendations to test regularly or routinely. In fact, there are some you know, sources that I've read that don't recommend anything. And, um, you know, I disagree with that. But as I say, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I would agree with you. I think it's good practice to be tested regularly. And um, I'd suggest that as runners, uh, if you you notice symptoms of any chronic injury, poor recovery or recurring stress fractures, then it maybe is a time to think about having a vitamin D test. And also consider if your exposure to sunlight is optimal. So, for example, if you tend to run early in the morning or late in the evenings, or maybe you do indoor running and training, it might be that your sun exposure is more limited than you think it is. So there may be a place for you to um, to, to, to get some testing done. So Aileen, could I ask you maybe to talk us through how to test for vitamin D? 
Yeah, sure. Well, there's two types of tests. Um, the first is easy to do. It's it's a skin prick test, usually a home uh, test kit. And the other one involves a blood draw. Um, so I'll, I'll just give you a quick overview of the, the two types of tests. So the first one, this skin prick test, it's, it's a self-test and it's simple. So basically, you, you order a kit from a reputable supplier. They'll send you the kit um, and you just follow their, their instructions. So the, the benefit of doing it is you, you complete it in the comfort of your home. You carry it out at a convenient time to you. Uh, and all you really need to do is prick the finger to draw some blood. And then usually you, you drop the blood drops onto a little pad um, that's supplied to you and then you can send it off. So you order the test, you pay for the test and then you post it back using their um, envelope and, and postal um, label. And um, what usually happens um, is that the you'll get the results sent straight back to you within a few days. Um, and I, I always suggest to my clients, as soon as they get the test results, share them with me and then I can give them um, some helpful interpretation and, and action points of what to do next. So the alternative is, is a blood draw. And um, you mentioned earlier, Karen, that sometimes tests are available uh, with your own GP um, or maybe it's a private test. So this is a little bit more um, invasive, obviously, because, you know, you haven't had a blood draw. Um, you're probably going to have to travel to your appointment. Um, you'll need to work out a time that fits in with your uh, lifestyle and your timetable. Um, usually it's a trained phlebotomist that would carry out the procedure or a, a nurse or doctor. Um, and... Um, you know, if you're getting it sorted out through your GP, they would organise it, they would fund it, and the test results would be um, processed by the, the lab that the um, the GP uses. And then um, your results would go back to the GP and you'd probably have to contact the GP for your results. And results sometimes take a bit longer, um, up to about 14 days. Um, so I, I tend to find that most of my clients will opt for a home test kit, mainly because it's um, simple and easy and uh, their time's maybe more precious than booking to go to see the GP. Um, so tests cost around 30 to 40 pounds, depending on which supply you choose. Um, what you need to um, look for um, is the correct vitamin D test, and it's called a 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood test, um, and that will be described by the supplier. And what it does is it measures the amount of stored uh, vitamin D in your blood um, so that's the process. Um, it's not it, 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 when you were talking earlier, Karen, I was thinking, really, when you think about vitamin D testing, it should be a little bit like going to the dentist for a checkup every six months. You know, so it's just mm -hmm. like something. it's in the calendar, get it done, see where you are. Um, so would you talk us through the typical results that people might expect to see once they've done a, a test, Karen? 
Yeah, so if they choose a, a home test, they'll probably um, receive a guidance sheet from the testing company explaining the results and suggesting some actions. Um, they're usually quite simple to read, I have to say, and they'll detail the standard reference range that your specific results are being measured against. And every company has a different, different reference range. Um, so they do vary between the labs. But generally, you'll find that it's colour-coded and um, with the results graded from deficient to optimal. Now, the, like I say, the ranges do vary, but a typical range would be um, optimal. Um, and I spoke about some of these numbers earlier. So greater than 100 is classed as optimal with a safe upper limit of 220 nanomoles per litre. Now, to be sufficient, you're looking at between 50 to 100 nanomoles per litre. Insufficient is between 25 and 50 nanomoles per litre. And then if you're below 25 nanomoles per litre, then that's a sign of vitamin D deficiency. Now, as nutritionists, we always aim for, for the optimal aspect of it, um, really in all aspects of health. So looking at vitamin D, we would be looking at um, getting getting vitamin D levels greater than 100 nanomoles per litre. That would be our aim. And I think it is worthwhile asking a nutritionist to, to give you guidance, guidance on your test results because they can then interpret and suggest the next steps for, uh, for supplements, but also food-based um, um, support as well for your overall health status and your lifestyle and clearly for your your running as well so I, I would highly recommend sort of um contacting a nutritionist and getting some guidance great that's uh, that's exactly what I would do too Karen but, but one question I get asked often is um, is it possible to have too much vitamin d especially when people are supplementing um, so the first thing to say is that vitamin d toxicity is is rare um, there are some um, common symptoms and conditions associated with vitamin d toxicity um, so one of them is where you have a very high calcium level in your blood serum and another condition is called polyuria and that's where the body urinates more than usual and passes excessive or a of you know large amounts of urine each time you urinate so we in that aspect it's probably going to be more than three liters a day um, so quite a lot and uh, there might also be symptoms such as thirst and constipation so if if you got a test result and you 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 were in the high range so you know we're thinking sort of 220 to 250 uh, nanomoles per liter it would be advisable to consult with your medical practitioner and, and your nutritionist would suggest that. Um, so toxicity might occur if you um, supplement with huge doses per day for several weeks or months. Um, so that's why it's always best to get some advice and adjust your uh, dosage depending on what, what your situation is. Um, and we can talk about um some aspects of safe supplementation later on, Karen, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely, Alien. But I think it is a good point to bring up is is about the vitamin D toxicity because although it's rare, it can occur, and over supplementation could be um, a, a, a trigger for that. Um, because I, I, I'm not sure that that people, most people are aware that it can be toxic because we're advised so often to go on vitamin D because we're all deficient. People just automatically go on it without um, without testing first. So test first and then supplement would be our um, our recommendation. But like you say, Aileen, we will speak about supplementation in more detail later. But just to summarise uh, what we've spoken about so far before we move on, like we say, it would be good practice to test vitamin D status once to twice per year. Um, like you were saying, Aileen, I think that two times a year, sort of the autumn and spring, really good suggestion there just to to check levels. And there are simple finger prick home test kits available, or you could consult with your doctor for a test, um, which would involve a blood draw. Uh, when you get your results, really advisable to discuss them with a nutritionist or your, a medical practitioner to ensure that you take appropriate steps regarding the supplementation and your lifestyle to optimize your levels. And for optimal health, we we would aim for vitamin D status in the optimal reference range um, area of um, greater than 100 nanomoles, but not beyond that safer upper limit of 220 nanomoles per litre. So that would be our recommendations. So, Ellen, before we move on, shall we take a quick advert break? Yeah, sure, Karen. Uh, well, today um, we're really asking for everybody's help. So um, we would love it if uh, we could reach more runners um, through the podcast. And um, We wondered if you would help us uh, reach more runners by leaving a review on iTunes for us. So we're listed on lots of different uh, podcast platforms, but iTunes seems to be the place that potential listeners check out reviews before they listen to an episode. So we'd be really grateful if, uh, if you could take a couple of minutes to leave a few words. Um, on iTunes describing what you enjoy about listening to our episodes. Um, so what we're asking uh, people to do is leave us a, a review and uh, we'll, uh, we'd love for you to enter our podcast review free prize draw uh, to say thank you, really. Um, it's something that we're going to be running every month. Um, and if you go into the free prize draw, there'll be one lucky winner every month who would win um, a food diary review uh, with us, which would uh, take part um, in a, a Zoom consultation. So it would be a 30-minute Zoom consultation. Or if you don't want to do that, we'll give you a guest pass to our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners video program. So that's what we're offering every month. And it's, it's quite easy to do. Um, if you've never done a review before, I'll just run you through some steps. So the easiest way to do is to uh, use your phone and open, open the Apple podcast app. And that's the little purple logo that you probably click onto when you, you go onto your phone to listen to an episode. And then if you go to the icons at the bottom of the screen, you'll see um, a magnifying glass icon to search. And then all you have to do is search for she runs eats performs and then when you get to that you need to click on the show um not the episode and, and i'm 
sort of distinguishing that because I've done it myself. And sometimes when you when you click on an episode, it takes you to a page where you can't leave a review. So if you tap on the turquoise square, you know, the one with the white lady and the She Runs, Eats, Performs, that's the one that is the show icon. So click on that. And then you just scroll down past the episodes to ratings and review. And then you'll see um, some wording that says write a review. And again, it's in purple writing. Uh, click on that and uh, let us know what your favorite parts of the podcast are. And then before you um, submit the review, if you would be so kind as to take a, a screenshot of your review um, and then hit review. And then what we're asking you to do next is email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com attach your uh, screenshot with the review on the iTunes. And then what we'll do is we'll be in touch by email um, just to confirm that uh, we've got your review and that you're in our monthly prize draw. And we'll announce the, the monthly winner on the first of every month. But what we'll also do is your name will be added into the draw every month. So you've got 12 chances to, to win during the year. Um, so it sounds complicated, but trust me, it really is. And, and you'd be doing us a huge favor and we'd be ever so grateful to have a few more reviews because that's the way of people finding us. Um, so uh, look forward to some of you uh, being involved in uh, the competition. and We'll announce the, the winners uh, through email and also on the, the podcast every month. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and consider some practical suggestions to help you optimise your vitamin D status. So you may consider supplementation, safe sun exposure, and maybe adding the vitamin D rich foods into your food plan as well. So we'll look at each of these, but let's look at supplementation first. So really, that was going to depend on your test results um, and your vitamin D status. So you may require either a therapeutic dose or a maintenance dose of vitamin D, but that would be determined through your test results. Now, vitamin D supplements usually, uh, well, they they are measured in international units. So, for example, 1,000 international units up to 10,000 international units. I'm going to say IU from now on because it's just much easier to say um, would be considered a maintenance dose well that's sort of the level you can go to but a maintenance dose is usually between the thousand iu to the four thousand iu per day now the european food safety authority so the efsa have set the tolerable upper levels for vitamin d at four thousand iu per day for adults and also for pregnant women Now, when thinking about a therapeutic dose, that could range from as much as 5,000 up to 10,000 IU per day. And in certain cases of deficiency, if it's a real severe deficiency, a higher dose could be prescribed, but that would be done medically um, at at, at sort of um, supplement level. It's generally no more than 10,000 IU per day. Now, I would say it is important to take professional advice if your results show that you are deficient. Now, your medical practitioner may be able to prescribe a very high dose under medical supervision for you to support you in sort of gaining an optimal result in in a timely fashion. Because if you're really deficient, you're going to need to sort of 
see the benefits and feel the benefits of that fairly quickly. But also at the same time, they'd be investigating the underlying reasons for such a, a severe deficiency in your vitamin D status. So, so that's the, uh, an outline of, of how the, the supplements would be prescribed, basically. Yeah, thanks, Karen. I think it's really important to uh, describe that really good advice. Um, um, personally, I tend to uh, not suggest doses any higher than 10,000 IU a day because I feel that if, if somebody is that deficient, as you mentioned, they really need a medical consultation. Uh, and a, a couple of other things just to bear in mind is that um, high dose vitamin D3 should be taken alongside K2, vitamin K2, and that supports the calcium uh, balance by directing calcium into the bone um, away from the arteries. Um, so often when people are choosing supplements, you might find that D3 and vitamin K are combined, and that's that's quite a useful way of making sure that you you're taking the right amount of vitamin K, uh, K2, sorry. Um, and then usually what I would suggest is, um, particularly when you're taking high doses, to retest sort of between one and three months, and then um, it might be necessary to reduce the dose to what you described earlier as a maintenance dose, Karen. Um, there's lots of different types of supplements. So you can get um, vitamin D in tablets, in sprays and in drops. Um, so there's, you know, depending on your preference, you can have it in different ways. Um, and sometimes um, you find that uh, smaller amounts of vitamin D is included in multivitamin products or fortified foods. So again, that's a, a way that you can help maintain your level, but it might not be enough to therapeutically move your status. Um, and, and just remember that uh, the best form of vitamin D as a supplement is uh, D3 because that's identical to the kind your own body makes in, in your skin. Um, so just a few things to bear in mind when you're choosing a supplement. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I think there's some really good advice there regarding supplementation. So let's move on now and talk about safe sun exposure. Now, it is thought that one of the contributing factors to low vitamin D status is that people are covering themselves up and using sunscreen to protect against skin cancer, which is what you mentioned earlier, Aileen. And, um, and we know that, that we make vitamin D through sun, sun, safe sun exposure. So really, we want to be exposing face, legs and forearms to sunlight between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. That's the, the, the principal time frame for the body to be most receptive to producing um, the vitamin D3 from the sunlight, but only for 10 minutes during that time uh, frame and um, without any sun protection on. Um, and, and trying to do that as many days as possible through the summer. Now, that will depend on how much sunshine there is during the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. But if it, basically, when the sun comes out, try and get out. Um, and really, that's ensuring, though, that the skin 
doesn't burn or redden because you're damaging the skin at that point. Now, the 10 minutes is the advice for fair skin people. Darker skin people may require a, a longer period in, in, in the sunshine. Now, the Vitamin D Society suggests approximate sun exposure times um, for maximum daily vitamin D production for different skin types. And their recommendations are, like I've just said, 10 minutes for very light skinned Caucasian um, individuals, 20 minutes for Mediterranean, people with Mediterranean skins, 30 minutes for um, people living in the Middle East, 40 minutes for Southern Asia, and then 60 minutes for um, people living in Africa, especially the, the, the darker, the darker skinned African countries. So quite a, a variation in the lengths of times for different skin types. Um, now, the Vitamin D Society has got lots of information, so we will put their website in the show notes for you. And, and really, our tip would be to, to build your vitamin D reserve over the summer months with that regular exposure um, to the sunshine and um, wear sunscreen and clothes after that 10 minute times or longer, clearly, depending on your skin colour. So, Aileen, can you maybe remind us about the food sources of vitamin D? We did mention them um, briefly earlier, but maybe you could just sort of um, hone in on that again for us. Yeah. So the um, the food sources of D3 um, are from eggs, from butter and oily fish. So the types of oily fish that are rich in vitamin D3 would be uh, things like salmon, mackerel, herring, um, so all of those would be really helpful. And um, you'll get vitamin D2 from mushrooms and then from fortified milks like soya milk and almond milk. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, D2 needs to be converted to D3 for the body to utilize. So it, uh, we know that we don't get a lot of vitamin D through our food, um, but it's estimated that we might get as much as 10% of our vitamin vitamin D requirements from food. So it is a good idea to have some of these foods in, in your weekly menu because that's going to help you maintain, but you can't solely rely on that for vitamin D. Um, so some ideas um, of how to include it in, in your food plan. So having eggs once or twice a week would be a great idea. Um, we did do uh, an episode about eggs. Um, it was episode 55. Uh, we didn't talk about vitamin D actually in that episode, but we talked about some of the other nutrients, protein, fat, choline, and B12. Um, so, you know, you're getting a lot of good nutrients uh, from an egg. And um, an egg uh, contains approximately 40 IU of vitamin D, mostly in the yolk. So, you know, a couple of eggs twice a week is going to give you, um, you know, a nice amount of vitamin D. Um, so ideal, um, you know, ideas, I suppose, for egg meals, uh, keep it simple, you know, scrambled, poached, boiled eggs, omelettes. And then you could maybe try things like egg muffins, frittata, and maybe um, dishes like Turkish eggs would be a nice thing to have. Now, if we think about the oily fish, um, some ideas about how much vitamin D is in that fish. So 75 grams of salmon contains approximately 400 IU of vitamin D, so quite a lot higher. Um, 75 grams of canned tuna in water 
is lower at 40 IU. And two sardines in oil, again, is around 40 IU. So, um, again, small amounts, but worthwhile having. And we'd certainly suggest that um, if you eat fish, that you add in oily fish one to two times a week. That would be ideal. Um, and then thinking about the plant sources of uh, the D2 type of vitamin D, um, and this is really interesting. So if we think about mushrooms, um, apparently mushrooms uh, will absorb sunlight. Um, so the, the listing that I found is that half a cup of white mushrooms, which have been exposed to UV light, contain 366 IU. And if you compare that to half a cup of portobello mushrooms, which haven't been exposed to UV light, they only have four IU. Um, so that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the message is that we need to store our mushrooms on a sunny window ledge uh, before we uh, put them in our foods, and that will maximise the vitamin D content. Gosh, I think that's really interesting, Aileen, because I know that um, that that mushrooms clearly do absorb vitamin D when exposed to the sunlight, but that's a huge difference, isn't it? Three hundred. 66 IU versus 4 IU. So, yes, like you say, everybody get your mushrooms on the windowsill before you use them. Not at this time of year, but as soon as you see any sun coming out, um, then then get the mushrooms out. Okay, and I think just to add here, Aileen, it's also important to have adequate supplies of other nutrients in your food plan as well, because they'll work as cofactors alongside vitamin D. And I'm thinking here of uh, nutrients such as magnesium, Magnesium, and to get your magnesium, uh, you'd want to eat lots of dark green leafy vegetables, um, whole grains, and nuts and seeds. Also, the calcium that we were speaking about earlier as well. So, again, easy examples are the likes of milk and cheese, but also small fish with bones in them, such as sardines, really good source of calcium. And then um, plant foods, including apricots, blueberries, chickpeas, kidney beans, and fortified tofu um, has a high calcium content as well. Boron, now that's a a trace element um, nutrient that's found in leafy green vegetables such as kale and spinach. And it can also be found in the likes of grains and prunes, raisins, non-citrus fruits and nuts. Vitamin K, we've also spoken about already. And again, that can be found in dark green leafy vegetables, vegetable oils oils and grains. And um, you only actually need one microgram per day of vitamin K. So eating a variety of fresh foods um, should be enough to to support you um, um, on a daily basis. And then vitamin A as well. So eat orange vegetables like squash, sweet potato, carrots and fruits such as the, the mango, dried apricots and also cantaloupe melon. Uh, you will also find vitamin A in the likes of liver. It's really high um, in um, vitamin A, so not recommended if you're pregnant. Um, Beans, spinach and broccoli. And as we always advise, really, if you eat a rainbow with lots of variety, then you will be getting a wide range of all of these different nutrients. So so ensuring that you eat a rainbow on on a regular basis would be our advice. 
Great, some really great suggestions there, Karen. Um, so I think the most important action that we could recommend that everybody takes today is uh, get your vitamin D status tested. And uh, we'll add some links in our show notes of our favourite testing suppliers um, in the UK. And uh, I'm sure those of you that are living in other countries will be able to find um you know, an, an easy way to get your vitamin D tested if, if you feel that that's something that you would like to do. Uh, and if you do need um, some help interpreting your test results, please email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Um, so, you know, we can certainly help you with that. Absolutely. Excellent. Thanks, Aileen. So really, that takes us to the end of today's episode. So could I just ask you to take us through the key takeaways before we say goodbye? Yeah, sure, Karen. So as we said right at the start, vitamin D is often described as a sunshine vitamin as it's produced when skin is exposed to sunshine or rather the UVB radiation that the sun emits and that produces vitamin D3. Um, 10% of your vitamin D requirement uh, may come from food um, and we've just touched on those. So D, D3 is found in oily fish, butter and eggs, and D2 is in plant-based foods such as mushrooms and fortified uh, soya and almond milk. Uh, factors to, that you need to take in consideration uh, which might be contributing to a low vitamin D status include living in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, covering up with clothes and sunscreen, and having um, an indoor lifestyle, so living, working, playing and exercising indoors, all of these things will lead to having less sun exposure. Um, some people are at risk of a low vitamin D status. Um, so if you're somebody with a dark skin, if you have a polymorphism of the BDR gene, um, if you are aging and having older skin, and if you're um, overweight or obese, all of these are um, things that will put you at risk of having a low vitamin D status. So our suggested approach to attaining optimal vitamin D status is to have safe sun exposure and optimizing your op opportunity to make vitamin D naturally with sunshine. Um, top up with vitamin D rich foods and finally know your vitamin D status, get tested either privately or with your GP. And then um, when you've got your test results, if you need to use supplements, use them with guidance from a health professional based on your vitamin D results. Um, aim to reach optimal and then maintain throughout the year. Um, and as a runner, this is what we're here talking about, the most important things uh, that vitamin D will help you with is to promote and protect bone health and minimize the risk of stress fractures, uh, to promote muscle function, repair and recovery, support the immune system and minimize, minimize or prevent colds and flus and upper respiratory tract infections. Um, and finally, promote vasodilation, which is vital for blood flow and the delivery of extra oxygen and nutrients to the muscles during exercise. So um, I hope I've made a compelling case for vitamin D, Karen. I would say you have, Aileen. So I would just like to say thank you so much for sharing all these insights into the vital role of vitamin D um, with us all today. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. 
We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.